Well, we're back again with another episode, season four, episode 12. March. <laughs> oh, the luck of the Irish. Do you do the whole Ides of March thing? No. No, neither do I. No. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I don't even really celebrate St. Patrick's Day anymore. Dude. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like a mix of Irish. I'm not pure. You get to knock from now on. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock, the show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hey, 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 here to expand the neighborhood with Neighbors Don't Knock. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I do laugh about it no matter what. <laughs> I know you do. I can't help it. <laughs> it's it's always a lot of fun when I hear that from other listeners and they say, yeah, you guys are dorks. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, life might not always be funny, but the shit that goes down in my world is hilarious. Yeah, I, we try to unwrap what's in your brain sometimes and I... You know, I just can't do it. It's like it's like a Battlestar Galactica like matrix in your head sometimes. Wow, you just touched on like all my buttons. Throw I know. Star Trek in there, and I'm just all lit up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just I try to get you. Well, I've got to get you a little giddy for today's episode. I so. am. Except in fairness, the Matrix after the last one is dead to me. So. Well, we won't go down that that road or review that movie then. Um, so for all of you Matrix lovers out there, uh, send Philip some love. Send him, you know. <laughs> Send him a little uh, Matrix uh, meme with his head on it. I think that'd be great. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> All right. So this uh, episode, we're going to get into our special guest because we have a neighbor, a new neighbor stopping by. In studio. In it's studio so cool. with us. I know. I know. It's really great. Uh, this neighbor, actually, I had the privilege of meeting as a director uh, for a play. She directed me in a play. Oh, I, well, I gave away the sheet, but that's okay. She directed me in a play. Uh, not only does she do theater, she was on stage and she has her own production company and theater company, but she was also involved with the law. And I don't mean breaking the law. I was so, waiting for you to go breaking that law. Uh, it didn't work. I was thinking I thought the law and the law won, and that's the first thing. <laughs> uh, that, we were off that time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she is a judge here in Houston, a uh, great lawyer, great friend. We're just going to bring her in. Uh, I, I don't know to say your honor or Miss um, <laughs> Christine Weems. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. Is it, do we say your honor? Is it your honor? Like, or do you go by that, the... The title, do you, is that like a formal thing or is that just ev everyone just says, thank, yes, your honor? Uh, nobody says it when I'm like sitting in someone's bedroom or, <laughs> you know, like having a conversation with mics on. Usually it's in a more formal setting than this. You see, that's the problem. Right? Okay. Brian gets in front of the microphone. He starts holding court. He just thinks it's all. Uh... There's just no stopping that one. Well, yeah. Uh, do you like the title at all? Does that, that just doesn't, it doesn't even face you. It doesn't. It's not even nobody. It, it's one of those professions where I just think it's strange that they refer to you perpetually by your job title. It's not like I say actor chambers all the time. That's true. That, that, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I just always think like it's, it's almost similar to like doctors, like, like getting the white coat. Right. And then using the title. Right. It's a big deal, apparently. So I, I didn't know if it was the same in the legal world. 
I don't know if it is or not, but I mean, I know I would want to know when there's a doctor in the room. Like, if I start having a heart attack, you're going to want to know who all the people are who, who are doctors. Nobody cares if there's a judge in the room if we're not in court. <laughs> so I particularly do not like it. Like, particularly if we were out at a restaurant or something like that, you start calling me judge. If I'm drinking, I don't want people to know I'm a judge. You know, it's perfectly fine. For the you restaurant to call cuts me. you off just to save their own skin. Right. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Judge Weems, we think you've had an... <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to need your keys. Yes. I've had two glasses of wine. What are you talking about? That's when it's just Christine. Come on, let's be nice. That would be funny, though. It's almost like a, like an airplane, like a sequel to Airplane or something when they're in the restaurant and there's like... Is doctor, anyone, doctor, doctor, yeah. doctor, doctor. You know, it's like, is anyone a judge? And then you just have someone in a robe. I'm a judge and just stand up like, why do they need a judge? You know, with, the three, with our powers combined, we can make that scene happen. We could. Right, but nobody would care to see it because there's no good joke there. There you go. Nobody's ever going, I need a judge. We need something adjudicated right now. Oh, that's like everything I ever did on stage. <laughs> well, so, all right. So let's, let's jump back a little bit. So speaking of stage, since Philip brought it up. You have a production company and a theater company called Cone Man Running Productions. Yes, sir. And you guys are, you just did your 10th anniversary for the smattering? Yes, we've been in Houston for 10 years. Okay, and for our listeners that are not from Houston and all of, all over, explain what a smattering is. Because it's, I never have, I never heard of this until you brought this up and asked me to be a part of it. And I still have only been able to be part of the online version of this show. Uh, yes, so what, so you won, a, you won an award. I know. I'm still waiting for my award, actually. Oh, I should have brought it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it might be in my car. I can go check before I leave today. It's like under the seat. It's like, oh, it's like holding like candy or no, something. It's a, it's a sash. It's a sash that says best in show. And it's a little cone with a sticker on it that said you were best in show. I will display show. it right here. That way, when we film our next show, it's going to be prominently displayed. And I'll wear the, the, the sash. That's awesome. Definitely one of those moments where I wish we had the camera rolling because Christine's face, ooh, I should have brought that. <laughs> it was really good. Well, it's one of those things like, am I allowed to... Am I allowed to say that I haven't gotten it? A, I like how you two years it later. You can. Very crafty. It's fine. I don't mind coming onto your podcast and you shaming me for your award. That's great. Thanks, I, Brian. I, I figured I would get that in early because I I already know it's going to get tables will be turned very quickly. So, uh, so you were asking a smattering. And yes. What? So to our listeners, what is smattering that Cone Man produces annually? Okay. So it is a. It's technically called a spontaneous. Smattering, it's a 24-hour play festival where literally, um, so there are a lot of playwrights in Cone Man running, just ridiculously creative people. So the night before on Friday night, we'll get like eight, nine of our playwriting friends together and we'll have actors who've pre-committed to being part of the show. So the playwrights will draw a genre out of a hat. They'll draw like three or four actors out of a hat that they specifically have to write for. And then I'll throw other parameters at them. Like they have to you know, invent something or they have to tell the origin story of a nickname or just any kind of random thing. They have to use a song somehow, like a guilty pleasure song. They go home, they write for 13 hours, they show up at the theater on Saturday morning. Uh, the actors all show up, they get a director, and then they just rehearse. And they have 11 hours to be off book, fully propped. Um, I give them an additional prop that they have to use. Like um, this last one, it was Christmas tinsel, you know, and you have to figure out some way to use it. Um, and then the expectation is 
at 7 o'clock, so 24 hours from when we started, the actors all have to be ready to perform. They do two shows um, that night, 7 and 9.30, 9.45-ish. Um, and, yeah, we donate all the ticket sales to the Houston Food Bank. Everybody gets to vote. They watch all, it's like eight or nine short plays. The plays are only like you know, 11 or 12 minutes. The audience gets to vote on who was like, who's the prop the best, who the best actor was, who was best in show, which is why you won an award. Your, your play won best in show when we did it online. Um, See, there, there was the zinger right there that came back. It wasn't an individual accolade that I got that. It was for, for the collective group. But, <laughs> so, I, but I appreciate so I, that so you I made owe a my... to bring that in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, see, I knew it was going to come back at one point. I yeah. was like... <laughs> but see, what you missed out on, because you saw... you Because of COVID, we did it online. When we do it live, we get the audience all drunk. Everybody gets a free shot at the door. Oh, this is my kind of smattering. Uh, no, it's great. We get everybody nice and loose. You know, we usually get a beer sponsor. Everybody just, you know, has a good time. And then after we finish the second show, it just becomes a big theater party. Like everybody cuts loose from being tightly wound up all day long, trying to get off book and memorized and propped and costumed and figuring all this stuff. Because I tell the playwrights they can write whatever they want. So they usually... Right without regard as to how the actors are going to perform it, they will figure it out. Um, okay, so this is going on. Do you guys, now you're in the midst of figuring out what your season's going to be for the company? Right. I mean, right now with COVID, it's kind of crazy. We're trying to kind of gauge. We want to do shows live. We have our own space in Spring Street Studios. It's just a matter of how comfortable do people feel how big of a show do we want to do come in running predominantly um, we like to focus on doing a lot of original work things that houston hasn't seen before just because we have so many playwrights who are kind of in our repertoire of uh, kind of like in our little ensemble group that we just know how hard it is to get original work produced so we like to give them opportunities as opposed to doing like you know can't take it with you for the 50th time or like another shakespeare production not that i have anything against shakespeare i've directed shakespeare i love shakespeare but i we are trying to give opportunities to people to be new stuff and for playwrights who haven't had a chance to have their works produced yet for them to see their stuff on a stage, you know, and visualized. So, and you have playwrights now when you say you're kind of your bubble, these are not all local. Like you were talking about earlier, how you had to mail awards out to DC. And so all your playwrights are from, are from all over, correct? Oh yeah. We've got, we've got friends who are writing plays. All over Pennsylvania, New York, you know, Nebraska. I mean, you know, because with the other thing that we do through Command Running is we did an audio play podcast, which is how I met Phil. He voiced a genie for us in one of our plays. Yeah, and so if you guys want to check out, you can still hear those audio yeah. plays. Uh, a War of the Words, mm -hmm. and you can find it on uh, Spotify, I you believe. You can find them on all of them. All of it. Yeah. Okay. So they're they're all out there now. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those, wherever you listen, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can probably find War of the Words. I highly recommend you check it out. There's some really hilarious plays and actually some very creative uh, audio plays. And, and you have to think about the work that goes into those because it, it seems so simple, but the amount of time trying to get five, let's, let's just say a play that has four actors, not even five, four actors, like just putting them together and matching all their audio and everything, especially when it was, it was, everyone was in different locations. It was just crazy that you guys did that. Well, yeah. it's because COVID hit and suddenly we were like canceling an entire season of shows and we didn't know it was going to happen. And then a lot of people weren't working. We we're trying to figure out what can we do to stay creative? 
And so because we know so many playwrights, uh, and the reason why it's called War of the Words was we decided to make it basically competitive audio plays. So kind of like the same way we do smattering, you know, um, playwrights would draw the name of a couple of actors out of a hat and we would give them like a theme, you know, like two for one or something like that. And they would go write in a weekend. They had to write an audio play, 10 pages. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, we would record them all. And it was tricky because uh, Renata Smith, who was my co-director and co-producer on it, neither of us had ever done audio plays before, never edited audio before. So we were kind of learning, you know, audition on the fly. I can um, relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, are you, hey, you want to do a podcast? Sure. Uh, <laughs> is it a lot of work? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the it's tricky like part hour. was, is that like, y'all are doing like people talking. We were trying to, you know, put people on, suddenly they're in a frozen tundra or they're in a war zone. And so you're trying to figure out all this ambient sound and how to make it work or how to modulate people's voices because one minute they're talking and then they become a monster. And that was kind of the great thing about doing a podcast. These playwrights were able to write all kinds of different worlds, you know, and just all kinds of different scenarios. And then literally we put plays head to head on the same podcast and then audience would have like a week to vote on it. And we just kind of did it like a sweet 16 bracket. So there was one winner. That that's uh, like basketball. Mark okay, Madness. Okay. Oh, okay, I'm not that <laughs> in the dark on sports, there, pal. Okay. I mean, mostly, but I got that one. <laughs> oh, I, are you the one who doesn't know sports? <laughs> oh, and she gave you the puppy, dog, the puppy dog look. Yeah, I often tell people that I know as much about things like football as I do nuclear fission. I don't know anything about nuclear fission. So, but that's okay. We still love him. We still love him regardless. But I still want to, I want to say one of the audio plays, getting back to that, there was a, one of the plays had, it was like sex crazed snowmen, I believe that like monsters or something like that. Oh, there was what a, they can do with a carrot. So, yeah, or I don't know. It was, it was, it was kind of, so, I mean, you had something as out there as that versus like a serious, dramatic, you know, Oh. I, I don't know. It was just, it was all over. Like you couldn't. So if if your cup of tea is just like hearing stories and things like that, you need to check these out because there's something I think for everyone from the spooky to the ridiculous and to the you know the really great like relationship content. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you again for letting me be a part of that. By the way, yeah. that was really cool. And I got to play. A, uh, I did two of them, and I got to play a, a serial killer kind of guy in in one of them, like a crazed killer. Did did you keep your natural voice for that? Not exactly, a little bit, but but not exactly. But I I had never had the opportunity to play a really dark role before, and I really had fun with that one. What, My wife was a little worried about me. What what was it? What did it sound like? I don't remember hearing that one. I I'm I mean not, I, I know I I'm listened not to a it. Tap, sir. You can't just turn <laughs> me on. It was the one that was the radio show, right? It was, yeah. No, that was that was one of my favorite ones. We did a we did a Code Man's Cauldron, which was we literally repeat. Oh, uh, that's right. That was not the the War of the Worlds. It was Cold Man's Cauldron, right? So it's it was on the same podcast. But if you go look in like October of twenty twenty, we released an audio play or a pair of audio plays every single day in October, and they were just somehow Halloween tangentially related like whether it was monsters or was horror and it was just amazing the work that we got and then some of the stuff we were able to do with it was just so creative i mean it was some of it's really spooky but then like you did one that was you played a genie who was like awarding oh wishes. Wait, that we, was from cauldron yeah we did listen to that and we listened to it at, actually at the party you we you hosted a party i think was it a halloween i don't remember a halloween party. it was a halloween party 
and we actually listened to it as kind of like as the group. We put it on. I remember listening to that. Yeah, you were really creepy in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's it right there. No. I, just, <laughs> I can't and look at it. <laughs> it was fun, though. It really was. It's, it's interesting to, uh, you know, have the opportunity when everything's locked down to be able to to be creative. It was great. Well, it was a lot of fun because it allowed uh, allowed us to work with a lot of people that like I hadn't worked with in ages because we had a theater company in New York. So we brought in a bunch of our New York actors. My husband, Michael, um, was in a playwriting. He's a master's from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. And so uh, in playwriting. So we got to utilize a lot of work from his um, people he went to school with there. So it was really great that we just got to work with playwrights and actors from everywhere. One of our actors was recording from thailand oh wow like she was wow. literally yeah she was literally in asia and so she would have to wake up in the middle of the night I was about to say, poor thing, in her pajamas. <laughs> but you S- know what? setting the alarm <laughs> she would show up and then so she would pop up on zoom and we would all record our audio separately and then renata and i would have to spend time kind of piecing it all together but it was just it was so much fun and exactly i know it was exactly what i needed during that time in covid when we had no idea if and when we'd ever be able to do theater and it kept me connected to my theater family, my playwriting friends, my actor friends, because I would see them constantly over Zoom while we were recording. It was so much fun. I think I feel like you guys were one of the first companies to really do something and pivot when the pandemic hit. Going back, I mean, there was I think everyone, everyone in general was just kind of like deer in headlights, shell shock, like, well, what do we do now? Right. And I think you guys were one of the few that started and, and decided that you were going to pivot to do something. It, you, you know, I think everyone wanted to do something, but had no idea. And you guys quickly were like, let's do this. And I, I thought it was really, really creative. And, and it was, I loved being part of it. And I don't think that, uh, is it, is that kind of done now no so we did a second iteration of it um and we just wrapped it up and we'll probably do a third iteration of it we're, we're slowing down the pace i mean because that first season we were just cranking through so many audio plays that we ended up producing like over a hundred original audio plays in the span of maybe six months wow because people were constantly writing and we just you know a lot of people weren't working, and so we had a lot of time. We had a lot of flexibility. We were dropping episodes every other day, um, and it was just – it was insane. We were at this crazy pace. So this second year, we took it down a whole lot where we weren't doing as many, and we still, I think, cranked out some, like, 45 to 50 original audio plays over the course of the second season. Wow. So the third season, we'll probably do it, but obviously slow it down, like maybe an episode a week. Okay. <laughs> so so, but this, but this is just, this is here to stay though. This. Yeah, because it's, it's fun. It's fun. It gives us that opportunity to work with so many talented playwrights. And I know a lot of people um, who had never written anything before, who took it as an opportunity to write. Cause we were doing all these bonus plays. Like who wants to write a bonus play? You know, we'll give you some actors. You just write it and we'll produce it. And, and so we were just people who'd never written anything before were writing for us. And I think they kind of discovered, holy crap, it's a lot of fun. You can be creative. There's a whole lot you can do with it. And so, I mean, I think there's an interest there in terms of the content from, you know, playwrights who want to write and then actors and all of our actors friends, you know, Brian, that all of our actors friends are hams and are always looking That's for true. another opportunity to play a different A lot of character. us say yes, usually point blank. Like even if we Are want you available? yes. 
even if you, well, yeah, it's like, it's like a reaction. Even if we want to say no, even if like, it's like, crap, damn it. I didn't, but like your first reaction is, are you available? Yeah. <laughs> Cause if you are, you, you always want the job, but no, I, I, in all seriousness, any chance to, to work with creative people. And you, you know, this too, uh, Philip, it, it just fuels you. So for that one other job that you have that, you know, it's more about the paycheck than it is anything else. You have this other creative thing that helps you keep going. So, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the kind of New York feel too, to, to what you were doing, because I don't know if that came from your time there or not, but I grew up about 45 minutes hour outside of New York city. And there's definitely that theater element there of itty bitty little holes in the wall, you know, people's apartments where all sorts of playwrights and actors are getting together all the time. And, just trying to do stuff. And, you know, I know that Houston has that element, but you really have to hunt for it so, so hard. So it's nice to have you with an established theater, you know, going out and just, no, we're going to do this now. I think it's an energy. I mean, I, I think we did do a lot of theater in New York in just tiny hole in the walls and at off times and weird. I mean, we started doing plays Tuesday through Thursday because you would rent a space in New York and it'd be $900 for a week. So if you just used it on the weekends, it would be sitting there empty and be like, oh, my God, we can't afford to just have it sit empty. So a lot of times when we were in New York, we would run two shows in rep and have like two different shows and two different directors and two different sets. And just one would be the weekend show and the other one would be the off night show. And so we actually have done that down here on certain certain pr productions. You know, when you did um, Insomnia Cafe. Yeah. Absolutely. So Brian did an original play with us that was written by a playwright in Louisiana that was based off of a woman obsessed with, or a couple that was obsessed with a friend's TV show. And then... Philip's like, I totally see you in this role. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great comedy. And then on the, on the weeknights, um, I directed Teresa Rebeck's Sunday on the Rocks. And we just basically took the set. I wallpapered the walls. We changed some things out. And it became a totally different place. But we used... Every night there was a show running in that space in Obsidian. It was either your play or my play yeah. every single night. And I remember that. I remember that going back and forth with that. And 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 speaking to that that playwright, apparently they did it a lot darker. The original we weren't the the first ones to do it, but we were the first one in Texas, I believe, to do that play. And they did like a very dark version of it. And ours was a little bit more more campy, but like kind of psychedelic on that you know weird you know that that scary happy time you know we're like ah, you're like yeah calm down dude you know like that kind of like it was it was right it was a lot of fun but it, again it's always a challenge to do new work so, so it's really a pleasure to hear that you guys are continuing to do that uh for any of you wanting to get involved with coman running whether you are a director an actor wanting to donate uh wanting to have something produced wanting to help out in any way shape or form get involved uh, you go to conemanrunning.com and you can contact them there. Also, we'll put the link in our episode description so you guys can check that out. Um, so, Christine, a little bit. Go back to New York a little bit. How long were you guys there? I was in New York for about four and a half years. Okay. And, and you never did the whole starving artist thing, right? You guys were full-time working like other jobs. Yeah. Too. No, when I was in New York, I went to New York after I'd already become a lawyer. So um, I started doing theater in Houston because I graduated law school and I'd been doing a lot of mock trial. And then once I graduated, I looked around, it's like, I don't have anything to fill the time other than drinking a lot. So I need to figure out something fun and I don't have that outlet of pretending to be a witness anymore. So I just like, oh, maybe I'll go audition for a play. 
and they gave me the lead over at Suburbia. And then I'm like, oh, go audition for another play. And then after a while, I've been doing theater in Houston. I, had a, I was on a run of like 14 plays in a row where I was just constantly in rehearsal for one thing and performing on the weekends. And it was so much fun. And I was like, I don't have any training in this. I bet it'd be a lot better if I actually had some training in you. I wonder what it's like to go to school for theater. So um, Lulu Mir and I had just done a show at um, College of the Mainland. And we had a blast. And she had said, you know, I'm thinking about doing an acting conservatory. I'm like, you know what? I'm thinking about doing an acting conservatory. She was going to go to New York. And I was going to apply for the one in California. Because I'm actually, at the time, I still am actually, licensed to practice law in California. She's like, oh, come to New York with me. I'm like, I've never been to New York as an adult. So I applied. We both got in. Uh, and it was literally just meant to be like three months hanging out in New York. I took a sabbatical for my practice. You know, I kind of quit my job. And it's like, well, you know, I'll see what what landscape looks like after three months. And I'll just come back and go back into practicing law. Well, it was in 2005 when tort reform happened, which may be meaningless to you. But for most lawyers, it released hundreds of lawyers out on the market at the same time. It decimated certain areas of law to where I literally could not find a job in Houston. So I stayed in New York, was doing real work. I was an antitrust lawyer doing litigation there at a, at a big firm. I wasn't licensed in New York, but I was working on some really big cases. And As so was, in-house legal, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically doing like discovery for them, like large scale, like 10 million pages of documents, large scale. But it was great because it was the kind of job where at the end of the day, I didn't have to bring it home with me or I wasn't stressed out about it. So I did theater. So I'd literally work all day, go to the theater at night. We were directing. Um, I started directing in New York. I'd never done that before. And then I got involved with um, Blake Bradford. who was just this ridiculously talented director who had just graduated from UNC, just moved to New York. Um, he cast me in a play and it was a blast. And then so we did another play together. And then he started this theater company. Fair play, and they invited me to be a part of it. Next thing I know, I'm executive director. He's artistic director, and we're just producing a ton of original work because he was a playwright. Michael, who I ended up marrying, my husband, he's a playwright, so we did a lot of their plays. There were a lot of other playwrights we'd gotten to know, so we were doing so much just original work, in part because you don't have to pay the royalties, which are expensive, but also... It's where they get you. Yeah, it really is. Small theater, man. That's where they get you. That's where they get you. But also with with like original work, you get a lot more flexibility because if you're in a tiny space, like we were in a predominantly in like this little 30 seat theater and I call it acting in the runway because you have like 16 seats on one side, 14 seats on the other. And it's like a narrow strip in the middle and that's your stage. And so and it's original. You can always talk to the playwright and like we have make some adjustments because of how the stage is set up. Can we change this? Can we do this? Can we work this around? Or like, we can't, we don't have an exit here. Like you have them exiting and like, or there's like four entrances to your play, but we literally only have like two doors. Oh yeah. That's great. Like easy access is like, it's like, just let's, let's see if we can change this. Look next to you. Can we, <laughs> you know, but, well, but that you is, know, it's great. Right, Cause you can't do that with a published play. You have to get permission for right. yeah. little change, even though most people don't do it, but technically you do because it's licensed published work. Uh, but it was also just a lot of fun because the playwrights would get really excited and that energy and the actors, you know, they were getting to do something new. I mean, it's fun as an actor getting to create a new part. 
doing something that nobody else has done before, creating a role entirely, making it your own. I mean, that's exciting. It's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do, well, pick a play, you know, like Midsummer Night's Dream. I knew you were going to go. I don't know why. I just, I, I knew that was going to come out. I, I directed it. I've directed it before. <laughs> I've acted in it before. And I know when I acted in it, it's like, okay, I'm playing Oberon. All right. So you end up going online and seeing on YouTube, who else has done it? How have they done it before? But when you're doing something original, nobody has done it before. So it's like, if I want to give my character a weird eye twitch, I can do it. And it's original because like, Nobody's done it before. In all fairness, you could give your character a weird eye twitch. It just would be artistic, you know, <laughs> like choice yeah, <laughs> for your character. Yeah, trolls are like, dude, why is Oberon's eye twitching so much? <laughs> right? That's weird. This is weird. I think it's like a, like a metal, high metal poisoning or something. Like too much fish in her diet. I'm, a, I'm an artist, bastard. Um, <laughs> I'm making a choice here. That's please. right. <laughs> it is my you, you you know it's right. You know the only comment that would come back was like, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> That's all that would come back. <laughs> all right, but speaking speaking of speaking of of you acting and and things, you are still continuing to act. Yes, I mean not as much as as you used to. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. True. Okay, but you, I will say this, this is one thing I learned about you, which was a really cool thing, and I'm going to bring this up for our listeners. Um, you were in a very pro- popular movie. Yes. Uh, and I love seeing this when you post a picture of your movie prop badge on, mm-hmm. on, on your Facebook page, but you were in The Office. No. No, Office Space. Yes. Office Space. I was like, not wow, The Office. Wow, he just office totally space. wrecked I it. I, I did wreck it. It was I, so much buildup. Damn it, Jim. So much buildup <laughs> to get it wrong. I know. Where's, wow. where's my stapler? <laughs> wow. But yes, so you were in Office Space. Yes. And there's a picture of you standing right over Stephen Root's shoulder. Yes, Milton. Milton, yeah. What was it like in that movie? And, and how did that how did that come about? So I had just graduated from the University of Texas at Austin and was in law school in Houston. And they were filming it in Austin the summer between my first and second year of law school. And somebody who I'd gone to college with had mentioned, hey, I think they're filming this movie. They're looking for people just to be kind of office drones. Wouldn't this be fun? I'm like, oh, okay. So she's like, let's just submit, you know? So you just submit a picture. So I did. And some information about yourself. So I did. And they, they picked me. So it was three weeks in Austin. Um, we showed up at like this office complex every day. That's where Inatech was. And I was just an office drone in the background, but it was a ton of fun. I had the cubicle behind Michael Bolton and Samir. So you can see me pop around and walk out a couple of times. <laughs> you can see me in both the scenes where they introduced the bobs. Um, it was just fun because I'd never been on a movie set before and I'm on a real professional movie set with good, the good cast too. I mean, you were working, I mean, there were people that were the fantastic actors in that movie. Yeah, but I didn't know who any of them were, but Jennifer Anderson and Jennifer Anderson never came to the office. So <laughs> you have to remember this was like 1990, it was the summer of 1998. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so, it has been a while right. <laughs> that I'm remembering this now. So I didn't know, like, I didn't know who Ron Livingston was. I didn't know who Gary Cole was. All these actors who are like. Big time. Yeah. I yeah. see them everywhere. Like they're, they're, they're guest starring in all kinds of places. Literally the only person that I had heard of at all was Jennifer Aniston and she never came to the office. So we never saw her. You know, your character could have had an eye twitch. I, and you would have, how do you know I didn't? <laughs> I'm now I'm going to have to go back and watch. 
<laughs> it's actually her signature. Yeah. That's what she brings to all of the... Like right after Samir just was, it's like mentions something or every time he talks, like you just see a head twitch or something like that in the background. <laughs> I love that. So is that the only time that you've done film or have you done, or just smaller, not, nothing of that scale? Oh, well, when I was in New York, I mean, the extra work is great if you can get it. So there's like an episode of me in 30 Rock and there's an episode of me in Law and Order. And so I got to do, I got a lot of opportunities. I did a lot of shows that nobody's ever heard of that never got picked up, you know, but it's, it was all extra work. I mean, it's fun if you can get it. They pay you $80 a day just to kind of hang out in the background. They'll feed you. I like the irony of the actual practicing lawyer on Law and Order, though. That's pretty good. Well, the funny thing was, is at the time when I was doing Law and Order, that one episode, I was literally two weeks away from giving birth, and they were looking for actual pregnant women to do a maternity scene. So I'm literally on the arm of some random Asian guy waddling in the background behind Jeremy Sisto and Anthony Anderson as they're talking to, like, some obstetrician about something related to pregnancy. It's like walking around real slow, like I'm trying to push the baby out. And at one point during, you know, like that's what they say, though. If you're really close to make your water break, they like just walk around a whole lot. So that's like, just think about that. So that's what we did. Was and that a guy that told you that? Like a drink? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, just, just think about yeah. that, I've you know, because I, 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 I know but, what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah. I hear that. <laughs> Waddling around makes that thing just pop right out, you know, get to it. <laughs> you know, like those bits like driving over railroad tracks or something is like he'll help induce labor or something like that. It's like you're shaking <laughs> the baby out. Yes, yes Mr. Yeah. Sammy, it's doctor. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> MD. <laughs> All right, so not so much with film anymore. Now it's yeah. basically theater and obviously you have gone back and re-upped your law career a little bit more. <laughs> well, I never really left the law. No, career. but you now have taken it to a new level. Well, yes. <laughs> by being a judge. Now, you are up for re-election. Yes. Uh, I am on the 2022 ballot. So I don't have a primary opponent, but I do a, in, I will in the general election. So in November, it'll be I'll have an opponent, but I won't in the primary. Although everybody should go vote anyway in their respective primary. Because voting matters and voting is important. Agree. We actually yes. we actually suggest that quite often on this show. So yeah. I appreciate you throwing that out there as well. And I do appreciate you uh, being willing to take the risk of sitting down with a two misfits like us. If you're up for re-election, that can get a little bit dicey. Yeah, I know. She's just like, oh, that's the that's the woman that was or the judge that was on that yeah. that podcast with those dudes. Yeah, it's because <laughs> I don't know how big your listenership is. So <laughs> I think I might be okay. <laughs> You know what? I'm a. It'll be great. Watch this episode just blow up. You know, we, we, we have a new fan in Kenya. I'm just throwing that out there. We do. Look at the progress. Unfortunately, the fan in Kenya cannot vote for me. Maybe, so. that's, maybe, that's, maybe that's fortunate because they he also may, can't vote he against. Might, he may have connections in Texas. You never know. <laughs> uh, so, what is it? I I can't even imagine what it's like to run a campaign. What is, I mean, just what is it like? The, is it that exhausting what people talk about? Because I, I hear people talking about it all the time that if they do, that it's just, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of exhaustion, you're shaking a lot of hands, and at the end of the day, you know, I have to ask, is it worth it? Well, I mean, the crazy part in Texas, I mean, like, well, so I'm a countywide race. Well, Harris County is like the fourth largest county in the friggin' country, so... For me to go on the north side where I live all the way down to a meeting down at the south side, 
It's literally an hour to get across town. And it's the first year I campaigned. It was a lot of driving. Nobody knew who I was. I was a practicing lawyer. But, like, the I'd never been actively involved in politics. So we're a weird animal a little bit in Texas that we elect our judges. And we require the judges to be on a partisan ballot. So it's not like just, hey, I want to be a judge. Vote for me. It's you have to decide if you're going to be a Democrat or a Republican. The reason why that's interesting is because at the end of the day, you know, I know that me getting the job has nothing to do with me and me keeping my job has nothing to do with me. It literally is going to kind of come down to voters are going to see name on a ballot. In the primary, it was like me and my opponent, and it was just what name, what name, you know, stood out to you. Yeah. Right. you know, I mean, it's like I like the I like the W. I like yeah, it's I like my favorite or... letter. We'll go with Weems. Okay, so explain something to me. Maybe maybe you can, maybe you can't. Why is it that you have to be on a partisan ballot, but other local officials don't and even can't? I don't know why others can't, like school boards and things like that. Because yeah, I remember I, when they I, changed that law. I remember when they outlawed the ability to be on a partisan ballot for those like school board things like that. It seems very strange to me that. That in your world, you know, as an elected official, you would be, well, no, but you still have to be red or blue. I mean, I have my own theories about why um, they want judges to stay partisan. A lot of it is the fundraising. I mean, mm. judges raise a lot of money. And what do we do with the money? I mean, the, the reality of it is, is there's nothing I can spend money on that moves the needle. I can buy yard sides. I can buy T-shirts. I can give them to people. They can wear it or whatever. But I don't know enough people or I can't reach enough people where it's going to really move the needle for people to vote for me. So most candidates end up giving a lot of their money to their respective county political party. In the short time that you've been a judge, because how long have you been a judge for? Three years. Three years. Wow. It's not so not so short, actually. Yeah, it's I been can't three believe years it's three years. Wow. OK, so in the in your time as being a judge, what has been your most proud moment? I mean, I don't know if I have a proud moment necessarily from being a judge. I am really lucky. Or the work, or I guess the work that you've done. Well, I mean, part of what I get to do is, it's not as a judge, but since I've become a judge, I started running the mock trial program at the University of Houston Law Center. And so that has been huge for me in terms of uh, seeing my kids do well. And they actually, for me, they won a huge tournament just in October, October 31st. This past year was the first time they'd won a tournament. And for me, that was huge because it was showing me that we were making the kind of progress. And I was hoping that the kids were learning how to do this, that the students were picking it up, that they were picking up the real trial skills that they are going to need when they go out into practice, and that they're going around and kicking the ass of other schools. So, you know, that's always good. That's way cool. Yes. Have, right. you, have you recruited anybody from, from the mock trials into the theater world? I do. Actually, it's one of my favorite things to do. I that's love fantastic. roping um, lawyer friends. So last... God, it was 2019. Yeah, it was before the pandemic. Um, I did a production of Inherit the Wind, and it was a cast of 20, eight of which were practicing lawyers. That's so cool. Are you sure it wasn't Midsummer? It was not Midsummer. <laughs> but, you know, so in that same vein, I guess you were talking about, like, Project to Plague, uh, this summer where I'm planning on do- directing a production of 12 Angry Jurors entirely cast by local area attorneys. Um. And it's just because for us, it's a unique perspective into what the jurors talk about and how they deliberate on cases. And I think it's interesting having lawyers play them because all all real trial lawyers are closet actors. 
That's why it's an easy sell. It's like sure. That's why I asked. It makes sense. Right. You're a ham. You like being in front of people. You like showing off. Yeah. It's always about you. Come where it can be always right. about you. Yeah. Um, and it's great. I mean, and they love it. I mean, all the actors who've come up and done shows with all the lawyers who've come and participated. And usually, I get them in the smattering. It's kind of like the low commitment in terms of the amount of time. It's literally yeah, it's like two days, day. right? Or one, one, one day. day, one day. You show up, rehearse for one day. The whole piece is only 11 minutes long. You come, you have a blast, you do it. And, you know, it's not like you're rehearsing five weeks, four nights a week in order to run a show for five weekends in a row. But they love it. They get the high of it. They're like, this is amazing. All the things that they love about being a trial lawyer and doing the dog and pony show in front of a jury, they get that with the addition of the laughter, the live interaction, and not worrying about whether or not your client's going to get screwed at the end, you know? And it's fun. And so I love, 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 love getting trial lawyers into acting because I think it's like the thing that they've been burning to do and just dying, and they just don't know how to get involved in it. That's great. So I'm happy to be their gateway. Neighbors Don't Knock is produced by CNG Communications. CNG specializes in small batch voiceover and video production for commercial media, podcasting, radio, and more. Combining years of experience in acting, podcasting, and sales, CNG Communications offers big media products at small business prices. To learn more, visit our Facebook page or email us directly at admin at neighborsdontknock.com. And now back to the show. So what is in the pipe? Do you have anything in the pipeline coming up outside of a re-election, which is, uh, I guess, big enough? Um, we're working on our upcoming season for Conman Running. It's just a matter of trying to figure out what plays we want to do. Um, Michael's narrowed it down to some, and there's going to be a group of us reading them to try to figure out who we can find directors for them and, and that sort of thing. And then... When do those auditions go out for those that are local that would like to audition for your plays i would say just follow us on facebook or instagram um the facebook's obviously code man running productions instagram i think it's code man running prod um but that's where we put up notices for all the auditions okay and we'll usually do auditions you know a, a month and a month and a half before we'll actually you know gives you time to rehearse the show before it actually goes up um so we'll do a, like probably three or four productions over the course of the year with that some most of them will be original. We might do one or two produced plays in there. Just it's kind of the thing about having your own production company. It's like, what do I want to do? What do my friends want to do? Like Brian and I have been talking about doing a play for years. With it's, it is friends. years now. It's been going on for years. Yeah, I was pregnant when we directed. I directed Brian uh, and some friends of ours in a play, Boeing, Boeing. Still one of my favorite productions I've ever done. Oh, I've like, heard this mentioned multiple times on this show, in fact. Yeah, it's still, so he's, still it's to this way up there. It really is. The, the way you cast that show was brilliant. The way the chemistry of the cast worked. And, and we had a lot of obstacles, too. Because there was a, there's like a children's show that was using the space. So our set had to be mobile. And so like not only did we have to show up to prepare ourselves every night, we had to show up and build our set or, or like make put our set up. And we had a, a one of our cast members designed it. Uh, shout out to Brian Maynard. That was brilliant. It was a great job. You did a great job with the, the way the aesthetics of the set looked. And it is a funny, funny 
show. Everyone loves a good farce, and that was what it was. It was brilliant. So what is the threat here? Is the threat that you do this again? No, no, it's not that. So the 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 it's not a threat. It's just that. So the playwright. Oh, the promise. The playwright. (laughs) We don't throw those words around. That's don't throw that p word around. But the playwright had wrote another play called Don't Dress for Dinner, which I'd actually performed in like back in 2004, like ages ago. And it's a lot of the same characters, a lot of the same idea, totally farcical. I love directing physical, physical comedy. And because the characters are really similar, we have talked for years about doing that as like what we call the reunion show. And it just hasn't happened yet. I mean, this gives you an idea of how long it's been that we've been talking about it. I was pregnant with my third child when I directed Boeing Boeing, the, the first show we did. That kid's seven now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. It's flying by. Yeah. That's why we don't say the P word. <laughs> but we've been wanting to do it, and it, it's a great, it's a great show, but it's just like the, the universe has to kind of align. Everybody's got to be available. There's got to be a space because it requires a lot of doors. It's literally a good old-fashioned door slamming mistaken identity kind of farce. Yeah. In one door out the other type of thing. Yeah. And actually for those of you that are listening, you know, if you would, if you want to help us out with this, you know, you, you <laughs> could easily give to this little production and get a mention that, you know, um, or, you know, come down to Houston for any of our listeners that are out there. Cone man, go to cone man productions, uh, running, cone And you can uh, donate, and you can put what you're donating for. So if you put don't dress for dinner, they'll know it exactly what it's for. <laughs> so that yeah, would be, that'd be a ton of fun. you don't even have to deal with the annoying guy talking about dipping the chip or anything. You no. Know, you can just... <laughs> Although you're big enough, you, you could probably play the big burly guy. Yes. You know, the... There's a part in it for you, Phil. Yeah. I agree. Go to uh, the website. And donate <laughs> <to this cause. laughs> That's right. Um, okay. But before we get out of here, we just want to ask you, like we do all of our neighbors first, thank you for stopping by. Of course. What is your neighborly advice for our listeners? My neighborly advice for people generally is no matter how old you are or how busy you are, I think people need to be reminded that you need to keep having adventures. And I think that's the one thing that people kind of forget to do. We get in ruts with life and you just stop doing things that you've always wanted to do or things that you've been meaning to do. I mean, I think one of the coolest things I did was when I moved to New York, um, I just got out of a relationship. I was going to go to New York. I'm like, you know what? This year I'm going to do all the things that I've been meaning to do and just have adventures because there's always going to be a reason why I'm going to be too busy or something's going to come up. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids or whatever. I'm not going to be able to do all these things. So like the year I turned 29, I ran my first marathon. I played in the ladies event of the world series of poker. You know, I went, took a train up to Boston and just wandered around Boston. I went to like four different baseball parks. I really love baseball. Um, and so I've kind of like, wow, it was such an amazing year. And I'm like, there's no reason why this has to be limited to just the year I turned 29 is when I did cool shit. So I I try to keep doing something I've been meaning to do, something I've been thinking about. Like you see somebody with a cool hobby. I'm like, you know what? I'd like to pick that up. Oh, I'll do it later. No, you know what? I'm going to take a lesson. So that's always my advice for people, regardless of your age. Just try to go have an adventure, whatever that means for you. Take a different path a new hobby it's just fun i mean it's just a way to just experience new things so that you're not just going to work 
doing your podcast. I mean, go do something different. So that is my advice for your neighbors. All right. I like that. I can already see the wheels in your head turning. Well, you know, we've been on a streak of really good neighborly advice for the season, but that one's going to be up there in my, like my top list. That was excellent. Yeah, that was excellent. I, I think it's, it's very sound advice and uh, something that everyone can really use. You know, I mean, that, that's the beauty of, of hearing our neighbors give us advice because when we pass that along, I mean, it's just things that we don't think about. Indeed. I'm, ta- I'm taking that to heart. But Brian, I'm going to warn you and our listeners right now that is not including fucking skydiving, scuba diving. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, I, I, I get it. All the, okay? all the water sports, yes, for you are out. I, I, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah. I don't have wings. I don't have gills. You so. know I'm, but I'm right there with you. I, I'm scared of heights, so I'm never going to like jump off a cliff. I'm never going to go skydiving. I'm never going to think that that's fun. But I can do other really cool things I've been meaning to do. I've been wanting to do. Yeah, yeah. Earth people. I get it. Mm-hmm. Hey, you don't have to say it like I'm like an outcast here just because I like to jump out of airplanes. Ooh. No, no, no. More power to you, brother. You jump out of perfectly good working aircraft all you want. I just know that you give me the looks like, come on, dude. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's I do. Absolutely. No. I mean, it's it's exciting. You're putting yourself in a new environment, like meeting meeting new Hmm, he looks hungry. <laughs> Let's play with it. No. No, yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know why you said it like Kermit the Frog right there. <laughs> that would have been a really bad Kermit. If you want a good Kermit, I can do a good Kermit. But that there would have been a really bad Kermit, yeah. Well, Christine, we thank you for stopping by, and we hope that you, uh, well, much success on your campaign coming thank up. You. So vote for Christine Weems. Thank you. Check out the ballot. Uh, go to comanrunning.com. Hang on. A vote for Christine Weems is a vote for adventure. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't necessarily go at that, but sure. Sure, sure, sure. But make sure you guys go and check out past episodes of Neighbors Don't Knock. Subscribe to the episode or just subscribe to the podcast and check out the YouTube. We drop episodes every Friday. Absolutely. Christine, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, boys. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Out. <laughs> <laughs>